Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education, where we dive deep into the world of virtual reality for teaching and learning. Today, we have the pleasure of talking again to Bradley Chesham. Brad is CEO of Bundle Arrays, and he's been instrumental in pushing XR in healthcare. Brad, in my opinion, is a thought leader in how immersive learning should be deployed to maximize healthcare outcomes. His focus on using immersive learning tools related to XR has been impressive. His recent pursuit of his PhD while, while trying to run a busy startup is a testimony to Brad's passion for this medium. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Craig. You know, I usually start with an origin story, but given that this is your second time around, I'll, I'll mix it up a bit. But let's talk more especially about your tenacity for sticking to XR and more importantly for my show, VR in healthcare, because it does take tenacity. Craig, I have been nursing for 15 years. I worked in the NHS for eight years. I have been to Afghanistan. I've been to Iraq. I've worked in Mexico, uh, in Matamoros, which is a border city there with Brownsville. I've worked in Africa. Uh, I've been around in nursing. And there's 29 million nurses in the world. And when we do education, it's generally a bit shit. So... If you're Jenny the nurse and you're working in a hospital, it's actually really hard to get really good education. You know, you might see these government hospitals with big simulation labs and, you know, they have nursing educators, but having personalized, engaging education is ridiculously uh, variable. And any education in healthcare that is scaled is shitty digital e-learning that everybody does on night shift. They just hit enter a hundred times and they, there's no knowledge retention, right? But yet nurses are so good with people and they're so good at problem solving. And that's what VR is good at. So yeah, I've been working with VR for eight years and picking up headsets and wanting to throw them out the window because the Wi-Fi won't go on or it keeps logging off because the Wi-Fi is not fast enough or it keeps resetting and making me sick or the headset's heavy and I'm sweating because I've been in it for 40 minutes because it's 35 degrees in Australia. You know, there's a hundred reasons why you could think VR is a bit shit, but actually... For for Jenny, the nurse on the respiratory ward at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday when you've got a sick patient, they need support. And I the tenacity is, I suppose, I can see the vision of VR. It might not be absolutely realized today because some of it is a bit shit. You know, you put an app on and you expect to be wowed and you sort of go, oh, that was 
probably a bit average. Um, but there's no question every year it just gets better and better. So, you know, by the time 2027 comes around, spatial tech is just going to be phenomenal. Um, so the tenacity is the vision. And speaking of that vision and your resilience in this, you caught my attention and sort of gave me reason to swing back to have you on the show again because you organized uh, a recent conference that we really want to hone in on. So hosted down under sunny Brisbane, which just as a side note, even though I've been to Australia, it just the other day dawned on me that the capital city or the nation's capital is not Sydney. What the heck? Like how many people do you think that aren't from Australia actually get the capital city? I barely get it. Um, <laughs> so for everybody, it's a place called Canberra. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think um, I think everybody thinks kangaroos are jumping around our front yard and, you know, koalas are, are out and about. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things um, because a lot of people also think Melbourne's the capital. So, but, you know, we're so far away. And this is part of the discussion about this conference that we just held, which was called Explore, is that we are so far away. Um, and the community in XR in Asia Pacific is is quite, I wouldn't even say it's siloed. It's sort of just a bit tentatively unknown. Uh, you know, I don't think everybody really knows a lot of XR companies in Australia or Singapore or Korea. And collectively, the reason that we held this conference is, and I think one of the successes of the conference was that who, like, why do you go to a conference? A trade show is boring. Like, you might have a good keynote speaker and you sit there for eight hours listening to PowerPoint presentations. Like, get me a shotgun and shoot me in the face. Like, after the fourth PowerPoint presentation and a, a meal in my belly, you know, all I want to do is check my phone and start nodding off. You know, it's, it's a long day. And you've got to question, what, what do trade shows actually do for people? And if you run a startup, you can't afford a booth. And, you know, it's like thousands of dollars. So, like, the, the financial model of a conference doesn't even make sense anymore. Um, so what, what we tried to do was just to get the right people in the room. So, you know, we had just under 100 people and we had, you know, maybe 25% from academia, 25% from high-level clinical jobs, you know, nurse practitioners, hospital directors, hospital CEOs. And then we had 25% um, being vendors, you know, industry like applications, people like that. And then we had the other 25% as the the other use cases in healthcare. So disability sectors, vocational training, mental health. Um, so then by the time somebody does a workshop or stands up to do a presentation, you're not just speaking to the same room. The questions were really varied. The engagement around the content allows scope. You know, we had people talking about deploying 400 headsets at a U.S. university versus deploying headsets in the community to people with disabilities. You know, this the, then it's the same question. What is the accessibility to VR hardware, right? But now you've got this amazing scope to the conversation with all the right people in the room to pick up the nuances of large organizations and how you go about 
VR or, you know, immersive tech adoption. So it was great from that front to, to get energy in the breadth of where we are of XR and healthcare. Yeah, and such an intimate and interesting model and goal and concept, which, you know, I've seen these intimate settings before, and you've already alluded to this, but, you know, the challenge, which obviously you've overcome and we'll unpack more in this episode is just, you don't necessarily have, you know, a hundred nurses who are uberly focused necessarily on one specific targeted message. You've got, like you said, this group of, you know, whoever's speaking has to sort of address the generalist point of view to the deployment and use of XR for teaching and learning in general, I suppose. Yeah, I think what we tried to do as well is we wanted, you know, Jenny, the nurse. No, she doesn't exist, this Jenny. She's just the persona of, you know, she drinks a bit on the weekends with the girlfriends and she she's interested in her professional development, but she's a junior nurse. Well, the current state of XR in healthcare is not, Jenny's probably a user. You know, what, what we really want in the room is the CFO, you know, the financial people in healthcare and, and the CTO and, the, you know, the, the chief uh, information nurses and, and these executive level people because they don't know what they don't know and they need to know because this technology is fundamental to their business. And, you know, this it's just you can see AI is a wave over the top of VR in the narrative in industry. But VR is here now, so it's going to be a staple to some degree, even if it's 7% of your business. That's a lot and in healthcare, and there's an, a level of understanding that we have to have of you know, safety and all that kind of you know, best practice and research, and it's all being done. But it's, it's also it's, it's, a lot of it's just change management, Craig, with these conferences of like, how do we adopt VR? You know, what, you know, how do we plug this content into our current model? Um, how do we get buy-in from staff to, to generate excitement? And, you know, that change management, and I hate the word innovation. I think it's, it's just, it's it just over, overused, uh, under-delivered, um, because if you're Jenny the nurse, 10 o'clock at night on the respiratory ward, if you tapped her on the shoulder and said, hey, what innovations have changed your professional life in the 12, last 12 months? She's not going to be listing many, uh, I promise you that, because she's probably already looking for a job in graphic design or something. <laughs> Nursing is, 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 not in the, uh, is not in the best state. I actually went to the pub on the weekend with some friends, uh, had a long lunch, and I seen four or five nurses at the pub with their families, and all of them are currently looking for jobs out of nursing. And um, nursing is, is, is a tricky spot at the minute because you just get told, you know, do more with less, um, that type of narrative. And that's okay. And that is a level of innovation, as they call it. But, you know, after six months of that bullshit, you just get tired because you can just see that there's no investment in a personalized professional development path. For me, you know, I'm just a number on the roster that you need to cover. And that, that leadership needs to understand that retention and well-being at work isn't a box that you're ticking because these people are people and they're committed to their job. They love their job. They just need uh, an environment to flourish. And I want to circle back to the 7% number because it's been a sticky point for me too as 
a long-term educator and just this notion of how we learn. So the notion goes something like this, you know, the current model of how we learn anything, unfortunately, is we're looking for the magic wand or the, the quick fix or the magic pill, whatever you want to call it, that allows us to do it faster, more efficient. But truth be told, the research out there on how the brain learns things is this arduous, windy, long process. Getting to be an expert at anything isn't a PowerPoint and a textbook, wipe your fingers, brush, brush it off, and you're done. And this is where misconception in regards to the use of immersive learning tools like VR get um, the, wrong, the bad rap or the, the wrong notion of how they should be deployed. And I agree with you 100%. It's going to be, yeah, still maybe a lecture hall by an expert nurse or a master nurse educator. Then it might be a simulation, but it's also going to be a bunch of other things which might include different kinds of practice, review, retrieval that we might do now in an environment like virtual reality that gives it a different spin, a new context. And too many people think that XR is going to allow us to do less of that and more of this. And it's not. It's not either or. It should be this amazing journey. And so I'm glad you used that term. It's probably a tool that institutions, including hospitals, universities should start to consider, but it's not going to be now then 100% VR. No. And I, I think that term also irks me is, is a tool. Um, I think in the 90s, you know, an overhead projector was probably a tool. Remember them? You get the sheet and you put it onto the wall. And that was a tool to project content for scalable engagement around that piece of content, Right. Um, that's not virtual reality. Virtual reality or, or immersive areas are a medium, right? Much like users might go to TikTok to look at stuff. They might listen to a podcast and learn there. I see this as just being an, a new medium to operate within. And there's a lot of push in healthcare and you can see it in simulation. You know, mannequins are expensive, sim centers. People want asynchronous simulation so they can cut down on the sim center, cut down on teaching. But there's a bit of the magic that gets lost, right, of, the, of also the, the teacher, the, the simulationist that helps run a sim. So there is this marriage of where does it fit? And, you know, it's part of the reason why I want to start my PhD next year because I think, you know, I, I do like to swear a bit, but I think there's a fair bit of bullshit in some of the selling of VR around what it can do because, it is still quite limited in its use cases. And um, particularly in nursing, we don't know what is the magic of learning with VR yet, it, critically. In, 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 and, and what really frustrates me is that I haven't had a lot of engagement from academics. You know, I've got some university customers, but in that sort of critical academic conversation of, you know, how does it work and you can see that academia and industry are divided. You know, the academics think in this research world and, you know, but the second I announce I'm doing a PhD, I get a couple of messages from academics saying, oh, good job, Brad, and you sh this is great. And it's like, well, 
I've actually been carving a place in the world for the last four years already. I, don't, I wouldn't, you know, that is actually getting shit done. Um, this bridge between innovation and best practice with randomized control trials, and that, that shit all takes 10 years. But the grit of growing a business and being an industry and doing the hard work and, and saying people say no and not getting projects and being persistent to, to build a vision of what it could look like is, I'm not saying it's harder than doing a PhD, but it's as critical, right? Because if, that, if those people weren't out there hitting the street, there's nothing to measure. Um, so um, that's one of the reasons I want to do my PhD because I, I, I think there needs to be better relationships with academia, industry, and government because at the moment universities have a lot of cash and, and I think there's this great commercialization process that can happen across streams to benefit the learning. Um, so, you know, having test beds and pilot programs and, you know, like at the moment with AI, it's so back end, you know, like it's all happening in the back. But for an educator, what, how is AI going to impact the front of the room? You know, how are you going to wield AI in three years? Like I, if anybody has any feedback on this discussion is that if we had a podcast of VR and AI, and, and we were doing podcasts. What What's AI going to look like in three years? What's the synergy of these technologies? And how do we get ready for that? Because nursing, healthcare, not even remotely ready for that. So, you know, your original question was sort of around how do we foster quality learning? Is that right? And, and I, think, I think it's building an understanding of how to collaborate globally for feedback but doing it in a timely manner, you know, not waiting five years for research to get done out. You know, I speak to government organizations and they want a meeting in eight weeks and you're like, how do you ever get anything done? Um, it's fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, there's two camps to this when you, you know, you read books on this whole approach to, you know, becoming an expert or learning anything. And one of course is, you know, the research camp, but the pragmatism and the pragmatic camp can teach a lot about any subject. And I think the marriage of pragmatism and research, you know, hasn't really happened or it's, it's not an intimate relationship that, uh, you know, tends to be uh, two camps that sometimes get along, but most times they sort of fight for their own uh, reason for being. I want to focus back on Explore, which was your conference again. Yep. And, uh, you know, there were... So many interesting experts and people in a variety of different fields, and you alluded to that already earlier on in our talk, but I want to unpack a few. For example, one, she was one of your keynotes, and her name was Deb Lee, a nursing expert, of course, and she talked about patient safety, but I'm curious, and so are listeners, how did she tie in virtual reality and patient safety in her talk? Yeah, so Deb um, is an associate professor at the University of Michigan. So she works with a gentleman called Jeremy Nelson, and they have quite a significant XR initiative across the campus in health sciences. And they deploy a variety of MR, AR, and VR across the campus and touching in and out of the nursing faculty. But one easy analogy is that, you know, if a lumbar puncture is where uh, the patient's positioned. It's a sort of a diagnostic test where you put a needle into the spine and you drain off a little bit of cerebrospinal fluid. 
Um, so some nurse practitioners are able to do this procedure. It's, it's relatively simple, but um, it needs some skill, right? And there's a precision to the task. And at um, Michigan, they have um, built an MR-based um, app to let the practitioners know how to position the needle, how far to put the needle in. So when you talk about patient safety, it's, you know, it's about building out these learning and development protocols and co-pilots to procedures that allow clinicians to have so much more confidence with the way they go about their skill. And, you know, we had another speaker on the day, um, a company called Akuna, and they use 3D models in orthopedic surgery. And, and they're able to put a 3D model into a patient while they're on the, on the table. Um, and the surgeon has this, you know, making the impossible possible, has, it, has a vision of what's happening inside the patient. You know, what, what does that structure actually look like? Because they've got their CT scan, they've brought that out, they've built a 3D model. So from a patient safety perspective, like surgery in the future, you know, with an ability to use immersive tech for pre-surgical planning. And we've already seen it. You know, there were some twins born in Brazil and they, you know, they were conjoined twins and they used um, virtual reality DICOM environments to look at the best approach to the incisions and how to separate these conjoined. And it was all done in virtual reality and it was a massive success. And, you know, you take that to just, you know, imagine having a complex tumor in your abdomen that's wrapped around some organs in your abdomen. If you can pull out that CT scan and surgeons can look at that spatially and, and then when they go into the surgery, they sort of, they understand the geography of, you know, where they're going to be playing, then that has huge implications for the patient. Um, so I, I think it's untapped to know how we're going to impact patient safety, but it's going to be large you know, the, the, the level of impact. Because even something as simple as like a pediatric distraction headset when a, when a child is going to have a syringe, you know, that has psychological benefits um, as well as, you know, core sort of safety surgical benefits. So it's it's a brave new world and a lot of apps maybe don't meet the needs, but there definitely are some out there that are focused on learning and development and or procedures and they have a huge capability to to impact patient outcomes. Yeah. And not only that, but, you know, I had uh, a huge cyst in my right sinus cavity and I had to go through major oral maxillofacial surgery. You know, they had to do a Lafort, which means they had to remove the upper part of my jaw to get in there. And I was terrified. And they tried to show me on 2D computer CT scans, what the hell was going on. But, you know, even though I am, you know, I have some science background, it didn't really register as well. So, you know, fast forward to today, if they were able to show me in virtual reality what that looked like, my anxiety level would have been way down in regards to what was going to happen to me. You know, funny story, though, my wife took me into the, to the, to the room and they got me all settled and, uh, all of a sudden I hear this commotion and this crash and this bang. And it was my wife who had passed out. And so all the nurses are helping my wife and here I'm supposed to be getting prepped for surgery. So uh, there's so much there also on the, the patient end to try and give clarity to what's happening to you when you're about to embark on some sort of surgical procedure. 
at least we've got something in common. My wife passed out when I got my tongue pierced. So that's good. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's fascinating, Craig. And I think we don't really know yet about how, like imagine, and you know, these private consultants, they earn good money. So you're going to go in for your MaxFax consult before your surgery. They'll give you an Apple Vision Pro headset. They will wear an Apple Visual Pro set and they will be able to show you your cyst, which is inside your sinus at scale and demonstrate we're going to cut here and you like that will probably happen next year like the, that's that's an easy use case to demonstrate of you know this is your surgery and this is what we're going to do all they're doing is importing a dicom image into a headset and sharing that on a collaborative basis and nearly all the headsets can do that now so like that would be i think that would be just a standard part of surgery in the future is that at your consult they will show you your thing, you know, your cancer or your um, benign cyst or whatever it is, or, you know, your shoulder, your rotator cuff tear. They'll be able to show you the tear and say, right, we'll stitch this off and the bicep's going to get pulled up here. And and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I can see that because I can see that. You know, you're literally in the shoulder joint. Um, yeah, but I think for nursing, you know, I like doctors, but sometimes they can be annoying. So I like to stick to nursing. So the whole surgery front, you know, there's huge amounts of money in surgery, but if I don't fight for nursing, it just generally gets left out. So for nurses, I think soft skills, communication is going to be an amazing way um, for nurses to really, you know, your husband is dying, you know, you've you've just been diagnosed with diabetes and you're going to lose a foot. You know, these these, this is what nurses do every single day because our job is not normal. We, we, we do CPR on people that have just lost two liters of blood out of their back end. You know, like we're, we're covered in blood and, and body fluids and we, and same as police and firefighters, you know, that workload has this baseline stress and it's so hard to train to that. So like being able to, let a junior nurse understand the dynamics of a hospital, which are huge. Um, and, you know, the impact we have with a patient is just that day, but that patient has a whole story. Um, preparing for nurses out of nursing school for the world is a huge task. Um, so I, I definitely can see that's another impact from patient safety is if we're preparing nurses better, they're the largest workforce, they're with patients every single day, every moment of the day in hospitals, then that that has huge flow-on effects. Hey, a, a, a good conference is one that is just not, as you alluded to earlier, all PowerPoint or all talk and no action for participants. Just sitting there listening to people ruminate on slides is, as you said, pretty shitty or boring, especially if it's an XR conference where this medium can be really powerful to show instead of tell. So talk a bit about some of the demos and the opportunities that you afforded people at your Explore conference when it came to, to showing instead of just telling. Yeah, I think before I answer that directly, I'll wrap that up with the only reason we held this conference was because of the people, not the technology. So it was the people in the room and the whole time it was always structured. If I attend this conference, why am I going to come? What do I need to get out of this conference? And obviously a heavy part of that is content. 
So, you know, we had great partners like VR Patients and 3D Organon, Simex, all the sort of leading partners in um, the XR space. We had Facilitate, a 360 video platform. Um, and the whole idea was that we had some really high-level keynote talks by Deb Lee at Michigan and Jag Dander, who's a professor of surgery. But then across the venue in different areas, you know, people were putting headsets on next to the beach. Like it was rad. Um, and there was time to look at content and talk about it and say, oh, this is good, don't like this, or, you know, I, I get the 360, but maybe we need anatomy and, you know, like what are the use cases and and having that translational piece of this is the content, not look at the content um, and having that available. But I thought that would be more powerful, but I think what was the most powerful was actually just creating the space for the attendees to hang out together. That, you know, you know, we made sure that not everybody sat on the same table. You had to move tables. Every 20 minutes on the Friday night event, you had to change and talk to somebody you didn't know. So the whole time as a primary outcome of the conference, we tried to emphasize that, look, it's great. You come and listen to some keynotes, but the real value that you're going to take away is in two weeks time, you're on LinkedIn or having VC calls with people that you've met from this conference. That's the most valuable takeaway. Um, but yeah, I think next year we're going to have a two day event and we will have, you know, we want sort of like 15 workstations where people can explore the different use cases of VR, as well as talk to reputable people in the industry. You know, one company that caught my eye, even though you alluded to so many amazing ones was Possibility, which I think, and you can help me here, they, they work with people with disabilities and are trying to marry VR to help move them along in that life's journey? Is that what Possibility is uh, about? Yeah. So they're an inspiring company. Um, I know Drew, uh, well, I've met Drew Bessick, who's the, one of the CEOs. I, I think they've just merged with another company. So there's been a few changes at the executive level. But um, I first met them. We talked about staff training and then I went away and then over sort of 18 months, two years, they've revolutionized the tech. So we're talking about a company that has 5,000 staff all across Australia, huge company, um, really high level clinicians, you know, caring for people with disabilities in the community, caring for care homes where there might be three or four people in one house, um, a whole array of services. And, you know, even their annual report last year has a whole section on virtual reality. So they're looking at you know, how to use immersive tech for distributed education for staff on boarding, staff professional development, how to use the headsets to drive quality of life in their clients. You know, how can their clients, you know, if you have um, uh, cerebral palsy or Down syndrome, you've still got some motor function and everything, but how can you practice in VR to get a job? You know, so it's really sort of saying, and this is what's great about them is that you know, if you bought 50 laptops and put them in a business, how does that computing power help you in the business? Well, they've very logically just done the same thing. Well, if, if we've got different computers that can do different things, how do these different computers impact the business? Because that's all these headsets are. They're just an ability to do a different form of computation. So, you know, how is this computer going to help our business? And they've been really smart about that. Um, 
and have a very innovative business model that they'll be releasing next year, which isn't public yet. But, you know, I'd keep an eye on that because it will change um, how clients with uh, disabilities engage with this tech. Um, Fascinating. Uh, when I looked online at the website associated with Explore and I looked at the different sessions, one term that you used was uh, the micro lecture. Talk to me about that because, uh, you know, lots of people may not be familiar with it. And how, why was that an important key term to use for your particular conference? I think it's just... It's the flashlight of attention. You know, you can either turn the lights on and you've got attention everywhere, or it's being able to have 10 minutes dedicated about talking about one thing. Um, so, and in the busy, in the modern world, you know, I'm a founder, I run a startup, I'm a nurse, I'm a dad, and I can complain every day about being busy. But you know what? It's all my choices. I chose this job. I have children. I have a wife. I have these commitments that I've stepped forward and taken upon myself. And when people say they're too busy and they haven't got back to you, it's because they haven't prioritized that part of communication to get back to you because their flashlight of attention is somewhere else. It doesn't mean that they're not prioritizing you. It's just that they're running around in the universe and that's where their flashlight of attention is. And at this event, we did have CEOs, we did have directors, you know, we've got founders and we've got high level people. We need to get their flashlight of attention to one place to just understand this one thing about, you know. So having a hyper-focused learning outcome and building an area to, to retain that flashlight of attention for me was important because I think there's a lot of bullshit around how we spend our day in the modern world. Um, and I do it all the time. I'm busy, blah, blah, blah. But I love my job. You know, it's a, it's not work for me it's a passion that I believe in right so people say oh shit I'm so sorry you know I and I do it all the time as well Uh, but we need to be better and that's something I try and hard to do to be better at is 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 understanding what is this about what are the takeaways how do we build in redundancy to get the best out of this process and that was one of those things what a beautiful segue into one of my last questions then. So, you know, you being the CEO of Bundle Arrays and Bundle Arrays having a, a core focus on learning, what are some amazing takeaways for you from this conference, even though, you know, you were the one that was maybe if we, you know, take the uh, metaphor of being the conductor of the orchestra, what did the conductor of this orchestra take away from uh, an amazingly busy conference that you ran for bundle arrays? I think just the sentence of like, this is happening. It's not an idea. It's not, you know, VR is a fad or technology is going away, you know, standing at the back of the room, checking the structure of the speakers, checking the workstations, getting the networking happening, seeing the conversations. You know, I met a director a week later and she said she was still buzzing from the event about how exciting it was. And I think that would be the takeaway around this tech and what's happening in healthcare is it's, it is happening. 
it is happening and it's not going to happen. Um, and we are building the future for tomorrow. So get on board today because it's not going to disappear and people are already doing amazing things. And, you know, it, it's going to be a staple in education going forward, much like a laptop is now, you know, like, heads, you know, I tried the XR Elite, the HTC headset and the Quest 3 and, you know, like the XR Elite's not far past a pair of glasses, you know, and it's, it's incredible. So, you know, fast forward two years and the comfort of just wearing an immersive device will be easy approachable and the contents of of course the content's only ever going to get better so i think the key takeaway is like it's happening so you know now when i go ahead and speak to customers or speak to industry people or universities it's like well actually you're, you're probably not a trailblazer anymore because there's so many trailblazers out there now you, you're going to be following the other leaders so leadership opportunities around understanding and and being the industry body that's gone. There's people doing that now. So now it's about cost saving and business efficiency because they're becoming more and more known. Um, so, you know, innovation types are probably slow on VR now. VR is out of the box. Amazing. Uh, last question, Brad, just mindful of time. So anything else maybe left unsaid that you think would be great for listeners who are trying to deploy VR or thinking about using VR, especially as a learning tool. Well, not tool because you hate that word. Learning medium. <laughs> Don't piss me off, Craig. We're nearly finished. Um, good question. It's always, you know, you don't know what you don't know. The, the, the industry is so fragmented. You know, what headset do you get? There's a lot of software out there. I think it's it's finding the magic of 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 why and going on that journey to, to navigate that sense of awe from the initial use and actually really seeing that this, you know, this is your term, it makes for sticky learning and being able to, to generate better learning outcomes um, is, is fundamental to just delivering better education. It's probably where I would be is just thinking about if you were the student and you wanted to learn how how would you want to approach your learning and what what what's good for the end user uh, that's probably where i'd want to be i wouldn't focus on content too much because it's just going to change every year it's going to get better and just get on board start using it get some organizational capability around what it is and how it works and then get on for the ride uh, because it's going to change um I would also have eyes wide open for aligned technologies, you know, AI, um, even blockchain, you know, in terms of digital certification of learning, um, that type of stuff, because it, it's not, you know, this is under the umbrella of technology in education and, and AI is going to work synergistically with VR. So it's not, oh, how do we use AI and how do we use VR? It's like none of that at all. It's, it's so much bigger. And it's moving so fast. So if people don't get on board now, you know, particularly in competitive environments like universities, they literally will be years behind other people. Um, so I think that's that's going to be a fascinating point for, you know, adopters, you know, whether you're a director or a dean or a school teacher or you're sort of, oh, am I going to use VR or how does this work? It's like 
quick, get on board now, get a couple of headsets. Even if you've got a couple of Quest 2s, they're going to be a bit cheaper and just start to figure it out. Um, you know, reach out to us. We're always happy to help. We don't work in the K-12 space, but we love having, you know, we consider ourselves a, a, an educational company. We, we focus on the education. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably where I would see it is just give it a go. Get, get going. Um, and how can people get a hold of you if they want, do want to learn more about either just stuff you're doing, you know, best place to eat in Brisbane or how do I get started in VR? Yeah, I, so you need to come to Australia because I live in a place called the Sunshine Coast, which is about an hour and 20 minutes north of Brisbane. Um, I don't hate Brisbane, but Brisbane's an, an okay city. But at my house, <laughs> we've got the rainforest, we've got beaches. Um, so definitely book a trip, come and visit me. Um, I'll take you out for lunch. Um, yeah, I think LinkedIn is the best way to contact me. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. Um, I hate social media generally, but LinkedIn is a good portal for us professionally. And uh, it's also a good portal in terms of support of, you know, there's a lot of users of XR and education bouncing around that ecosystem. There's also a lot of cowboys and cowgirls in that area. You know, people have opinions around the tech and the education. And it's probably another thing to bring up is to be mindful of some of the bullshit out there. You know, research papers that say VR is 200% faster learning. You know, that's that's just not true. Um, so I think being able to navigate some of that crap that's out there is, is, a, is a critical thing. Um, and having real world conversations, which is what we tried to do at Explore, where we talk about the shit parts of the technology and we talk about the the terrible pricing models and we talk about the the poor service that comes with different apps um, because that's the reality of where we are. So, um, but yeah, on LinkedIn, otherwise come visit me on the Sunshine Coast, um, go for a surf, we can have a beer and we'll solve the world's problems. It's probably a good place to start. Brad, it's been amazing to connect with you again on the show and uh, all the best as this inevitability which, like you said, VR isn't necessarily something I think is going to go away or collect us. I think it is here to stay, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. And so it's time to get on board, cowboy. Cowboy. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's an exciting year. I think 2024 will be busy, but I do think 2025 will be where, where it lays. But um, thanks for having me. Um, it's always good to chat. I hope um, there's no bears or killer whales swimming in the river past your place at the minute, is there? Probably a couple of it's bears. It's all good, man. Out. Yeah. It's all good, my friend. All right. Bye for now, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time.